DiscerningHearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study presents Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon Doran, along with her husband Steve, are founders of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, whose mission is to actively seek truth and raise up disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ through an in-depth Catholic Bible study. Sharon, who holds two master's degrees in education and in pastoral theology with an emphasis in sacred scripture, is an experienced Bible study teacher for over a decade. She has a passion for scripture that motivates and challenges her students to immerse themselves in God's word and apply his message to their everyday lives. We now begin the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Dorn. In our Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study lecture series, we continue on with our study of the Synoptic Gospels by examining a history of prayer and how Jesus himself prayed. Now, if we look at the Bible, we see that Jesus really prayed a lot. There are many verses in the Bible that show us how Jesus modeled prayer for us. Jesus basically made his entire life a prayer to the Father. He pretty much prayed without ceasing, as St. Paul has told us to do. Let me give you some examples. Jesus prayed in Luke 3 at his baptism. In Mark 1, the morning before heading to Galilee, he prayed in Luke 5 after healing people. He prayed in Luke 6 all night before choosing his 12 apostles. He prayed in Matthew 11 when he was speaking to the Jewish leaders. And in John 6, he gave thanks to the Father in praying before feeding the 5,000. Jesus prayed in Matthew 14 before walking on the water. He prayed in Mark 7 while he healed a deaf and mute man. He prayed in Luke 9 before calling Peter. He prayed in Luke 9 again at before the transfiguration. He prayed at the return of the 70 in Luke 10. He prayed before teaching his disciples how to pray the Lord's Prayer. He prayed in John 11 before raising Lazarus from the dead. And in Matthew 19, he prayed while laying hands and praying for the little children. He prayed before that. In John 12, he asked his Father to glorify his name as he prayed. Matthew 26 shows him praying at the Lord's Supper. Luke 22 shows him praying for Peter faith when Satan is asked to sift him. And in John 17, he's praying for himself, his disciples, and all of us, all believers, just before heading off to Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, he's praying in Gethsemane three separate prayers before his betrayal. In Luke 23, right after being nailed to the cross, he's praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Matthew 27 has him praying while dying on the cross, praying Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Luke 23 shows in his dying breath, Jesus is praying, Father, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Luke 24 has the resurrected Christ praying a blessing over the bread before he eats with others at Emmaus. Luke 24 shows Jesus blessing the disciples before his ascension. Okay, you get the idea. He prays. Jesus prays. There are several verses outside the Gospels where Jesus is showing us, even though he's now back in heaven with the Father and seated at his right hand, he is still praying on our behalf. He makes intercession for us in Romans 8, in Hebrews 7, in Hebrews 9, in 1 John 2. I think we could all agree that Jesus prayed 
a lot. He prayed without ceasing. His life was a prayer to the Father, one that would glorify the Father. And one day, the disciples would ask him, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? They must have seen him constantly praying. And that oneness, that full disclosure, that open transparency that he had with the Father, it must have been very appealing and perhaps mysterious to them. What about the peace he had after praying, the resolve, the strength he had after praying? Teach us to pray like that, Lord. And so he did. In Matthew 6 and in Luke chapter 11, Jesus taught them how to pray, and he teaches us how to pray. Please listen now to the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, Part 2 Lecture on the Lord's Prayer. Good evening. Welcome to Seeking Truth and tonight's study of our Lord's Prayer. Matthew prefaces this by saying, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And it reminded me of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector from Luke 18, two who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. <laughs> Robbers and evildoers. You're laughing. <laughs> adulterers, even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast, and he said, God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But when you pray, Matthew tells us, go into your room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And don't we see Jesus doing that many times throughout the scripture, going to a solitary place, a certain place. Mark 1 tells us very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, there's a time for communal prayer also. Mass is a time of the body of Christ coming together in absolute joy and thanksgiving for the sacrifice Christ has won. But time alone with God is important too, as we know, abiding on the vine. Because he tells us in John's Gospel, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we do need that time that Deacon Keating was talking about. When you pray, do not go on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you even ask him. So pagans at this time would recite long litanies of names of the godlets and to hopefully gain their attention and get someone to answer a prayer. They didn't really know the little godlets, the little Gs. They didn't have a relationship with the little godlets, but they hoped if they went down this whole litany of names, one of them might answer the prayer. Some non-Catholics critique the rosary as a form of babbling prayer. And there could be nothing further from the truth. John Paul II wrote a beautiful letter on the rosary that you can get off the Vatican website. But it originates from the scripture, and it's a biblical meditation of the life of Christ through the eyes of Mary. 
When he was just newly elected, just two weeks into the office of the Pope, he frankly admitted that the rosary is my favorite prayer, a marvelous prayer, marvelous in its simplicity and in its depth. With these words, dear brothers and sisters, I set the first year of my pontificate within the daily rhythm of the rosary. He started his day every morning with the rosary. Today I begin the 25th year of my service as successor of Peter, and I will do the same. How many graces I have received in those years from the Blessed Virgin Mary and praying the rosary. I wish to lift up my thanks to the Lord in the words of his most holy mother under whose protection I have placed my patrine ministry, the ministry of Peter, he places it totus tuus, totally yours, Mary, in Mary's hands. And when he was shot on the feast of Our Lady of Fatima on May 13, 1981, four shots hit John Paul. And there was a motherly hand protecting him on the feast day of Our Lady of Fatima. And when he went down and the car sped off and they took him away to the hospital, a crowd stayed behind. And there was a picture of the Black Madonna, the Lady of Czestochowa, patroness of Poland, that was placed on the empty papal chair where he was supposed to be sitting. An American prelate spontaneously stepped up to the microphone and started praying the rosary, leading the crowd in the rosary. And John Paul was whisked off to the hospital and operated on for six hours. And he attributes his survival to the hand of Our Lady. And the rosary accompanied him, he says, in moments of joy and in moments of difficulty. To it I have entrusted any number of concerns. In it I have always found comfort. And four days later, he was announcing from his hospital bed that he had forgiven the assassin. And he asked the faithful to please pray for him. He spent three weeks recovering in the hospital, praying the rosary, working on forgiveness. And he said, it's nothing more than contemplating with Mary the face of Christ. And he named the year 2002 to 2003 the year of the rosary. Many times in his pontificate, we saw him contemplating Christ through the eyes of Mary. It was clearly a Marian prayer, but it's totally Christocentric, centered on Christ. In the sobriety of its elements, it has all the depth of the gospel message in its entirety, especially when he added the luminous mysteries. And it is an echo of the prayer of Mary and her perennial Magnificat, the incarnation over and over again of Christ to us. It also contains six Our Fathers. Our Father, the prayer we're studying tonight. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He visited the prisoner in person and personally extended forgiveness. The rosary is definitely not Babel prayer. But I'll give you an example of Babel prayer from the Old Testament, a biblical example. When Ahab became king, he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than anyone had done before him. He married Jezebel. They began to serve Baal and worship Baal. They built an altar for Baal, the king of Israel. And he made an Asherah pole. And he did more to anger the Lord than all of the kings before him. And this was at the time of the prophet Elisha. So he's up against Queen Jezebel and King Ahaz. And Elisha predicted that Jezebel would be eaten by the dogs in the Jezreel Valley. And it's exactly what happened. She was eaten by dogs. And a new queen would eventually return and take the top of Mount Carmel. And that would be Our Lady of Mount Carmel. That is where the Carmelite Monastery is on this mountain 
where Jezebel had been queen. But Jezebel had her own prophets, the prophets of Baal. Elijah knew the one true God of Israel, and he had a real relationship with him. And when Elijah is sent by the Lord, he is sent, and Obadiah says, are you the troubler of Israel? What are, you, what are you here for? And Elijah says, no, you are. You have abandoned the Lord's covenants. You have followed the God of the balls. And Elijah said to the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? I love that. How long will you limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. He wants to settle it now once and for all on top of Mount Carmel. So he said, summon the people from all over to Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Jezebel, the prophets of Baal, and her Asherah prophets. Bring them to the top of Mount Carmel, and we'll see whose God is real. You call on the name of your God, little g, and I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Okay. So they took the bull, they prepared it, they called on Baal from morning till noon. Baal, Baal, answer us. They danced around the altar, the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, surely he's God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Maybe he's busy, maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping, maybe he just needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and they started slashing themselves with swords and making themselves bleed with spears as was their custom and blood was flowing. Midday passed, they continued their frantic prophesying until time for the evening sacrifice, but no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. That's Babel, 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 Babel. Then Elijah said, come here to me. And they repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of the descendants of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he said, your name shall be Israel. And the stones, he dug an altar. In the name of the Lord, he dug a trench, enough to hold two seas of seeds, a deep trench. And he filled it with four big jars of water. And then he said, do another four. Do another four. Twelve big jars of water. So it was good and wet. The wood was drenched. It was soaked. And then he prayed. At the time of the sacrifice, Elijah stepped forward and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known today that you are God of Israel, and I am your servant and have done these things at your command. Answer me, answer me, Lord, so these people will know, Lord, that you are God and that they will turn their hearts back to you. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, all the wood, the stones, the soil. It licked up the water in the trench. Then all the people saw this. They fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is our God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded that they, they seized all the prophets of Baal, and they slashed their throats, and they slaughtered them in the Kidron Valley. How long will you limp between two opinions? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And all the people believed on the top of Mount Carmel. And now today, there is the shrine of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. It's where St. Simon Stock received the brown scapula. This was a loud, showy display, but Elijah knew this side of God. He knew this loud side of God. But then he has to flee because Jezebel wants him dead. She is mad. And so he runs and he runs and he's, he's despairing because he has nowhere to go and she's after him. And an angel feeds him and an angel says, go to this cave, go to this cave. It takes him 40 days and 40 nights to get there. It's Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai where Moses was. And he's hiding in a cave. And the Lord appears to Elijah. The word of the Lord comes and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He says, I'm running because she's going to kill me. They're going to kill me. And the Lord said, you go stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord's going to pass by. The Lord's going to allow him to witness him. 
So a great, great, big, powerful wind came and tore the mountain, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Then a huge earthquake came and rocks were cracking and tumbling, and, and, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And the Lord was in the whisper. Elijah heard the Lord in the whisper from fire on the mountaintop Carmel to the tiniest whisper. God whispers, are we listening? Are you listening? This is what Deacon Keating talked about. We need silence to hear the Lord. He whispers. We need to be silent and wait on the Lord so we can hear the whisper in the noise of our noisy society. Tonight we're looking at the Our Father, Pater Noster in Latin. Luke tells us that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. There was a certain place that he would go pray sometime. Do you have a certain place in your home, a prayer corner or a chair or somewhere where you like to go sit and pray? Because Jesus did. It was a cave where, according to tradition, the place was. And Jesus, this is where Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. It's a cave there, and it's preserved in the Holy Land. And a church is built over it. But you can still go down there. They've made a spot to pray right where the Lord um, taught his apostles. It's a Carmelite cloistered monastery now. But what I love about it is the Our Father is on these ceramic tiles all over the place in every language you could imagine, all over. And it really shows you the universality of God as Father of all, all nations, all languages, all people. And you can go sit in there and pray, and you can walk the grounds, and you can see all the different languages of the Lord's Prayer because he is the Father of us all. And at the lower part of the church is the Luke version. The upper part is the Matthew version. But there's over 70 ceramic tiles. Why 70? 70 languages. The people back then in that time believed there were 70 nations. And the Feast of Sukkot, the festival of booths, which was just going on this fall, booths to remind them of the exodus living out of tents. They would sacrifice on behalf of all the nations. So they would sacrifice 70 bulls because there were 70 nations. And so when you see 70 throughout the Old Testament, it's often with the number of nations. Now remember, Israel was the firstborn son, but the Lord said, arise, shine out, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines upon you, Israel. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness over all the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. They are to be a light to the nations. They are not to be unto themselves and separated. They are to be a light to the world because he's the father of all. My eyes, Simeon, sees baby Jesus, and he knows. My eyes have seen salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for your people Israel. Simeon knew by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So down in this cave, the Lord begins the prayer. This is how you are to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not subject us to the final test, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this is from the United States Bishop's website. It's the translation we use at Mass. It's the New American Revised. So what I want you to notice is the first four petitions are to the Father, our Father. And then it's your name, your kingdom, and your will. And the last ones are about us. Give us, forgive us, do not subject us, and deliver us. Our Father is the Father of all humanity. And so we say, who is our Father? We have an earthly Father, you have a spiritual human Father, and you have a heavenly unhuman Father. Three Fathers. Who's my earthly Father? My dad, right? Mike Lewandowski was my earthly Father. Who's my spiritual Father? Is it the Pope? Is it the pastor? Is it my spiritual director? Who's my spiritual Father? Who is the Father of our faith? Who? Father Abraham had many sons. Don't you know that song? Many sons had Father Abraham. It's a vacation Bible school. You are one of them, and so am I. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot. You know that song? All right. Father Abraham is the father of our faith. He's mentioned more than 200 times in the scriptures throughout both the Old and New Testaments. We studied him last year. It took 13 chapters to get through Father Abraham. He's a big deal. He's very important. He's the father of our faith. And God always teaches. God has a pedagogy. He shows us a father as he teaches us about himself. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness before anyone else. Before any other saints, before any other stories, before anyone else. No other examples before him. He believed God even before the covenant of circumcision was given. And Romans, Paul talks about this, that he's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, Abraham. He's our father in the sight of God. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said, so shall your offspring be. So he leaves Ur of the Chaldeans, remember, and God tells him, he doesn't know where he's going, he doesn't know anything about this God. He's, God just talks to him one day. And God tells him that you're going to be a father of the world. He gives him a worldwide blessing. You're going to have many children, many people from all over the world will be blessed through you, Abraham. Abraham will become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through Father Abraham. And I will give you offspring. All nations of the earth will be blessed because of me, time and time again. You're, you're going to have numerous, as many as the stars, as many as the sand of the seashore. You're going to have so many children. One problem, right? They're infertile. But Father Abraham is the father of the Hebrew Jewish faith. He's the first patriarch. He's the father of Isaac. He was the first to be called a Hebrew in Genesis 14, 13. But they did it their way. First off, remember, the way of the flesh. Instead of the will of God, they did it the way of Abraham and Sarah. They had another idea that he should sleep with Hagar, the maidservant from Egypt. That wasn't God's will as God taught them. He said, later bless them with Isaac and said, take your son, your only son. Wait, what about Ishmael? Take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go to the top of Moriah and sacrifice him there. So Abram is also declared the father of the Islamic or Muslim faith because he fathered the firstborn son, Ishmael, through Hagar. 
Ishmael was the first to be circumcised with his father in chapter 17 of Genesis. And Abram was 86 when, he ha when Hagar had Ishmael. And he said, could you, Ishmael live under your blessing, Lord? Couldn't you just bless Ishmael? And the Lord said, oh, I'll surely bless Ishmael. Yes, I will. I will bless him. I will make him fruitful. Yes, he did. And I will greatly increase his numbers. Yes, he has. And he will be the father of 12 rulers. I'm going to make him into a great nation, which he has. But Ishmael and Isaac are different in that Abram is a master with Ishmael, but Abram is a father to Isaac. It's a different relationship because Hagar is a slave and Sarah is a free woman. Sarah is the wife, the covenant wife. So Father Abraham is the father of the Christian faith also. There's three big faiths that are claiming him as father. He's our father too. We say Isaac was a type of Jesus. He's the typology of Jesus. Take your son, your only son, and go to the top of Moriah. And Christian baptism will eventually replace the circumcision covenant of Abraham. And Acts 15, the apostles will figure it out at the first council of Jerusalem. They'll say people don't need to be circumcised anymore. They just need to abstain from food polluted from idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat strangled with animals with blood. No circumcision needed anymore. His name was originally Abram, which means exalted father. But God said, no longer are you Abram. I call you Abraham, which means father of many. Now, even John calls him Abraham, our father. And Jesus talks about Father Abraham a couple places in the New Testament. So we have our earthly dad. We have the father of our faith, Abraham. Who is our heavenly father? God, the creator, who made each and every one of us. A merciful God who covered Adam and Eve after they fell. He covered them in mercy with animal skins. The first sacrifice of animals went for the skins to clothe them in their shame. And he's merciful. People think he's the old mean God of the Old Testament. He banished them from the garden, kicked them out. Wasn't that mean? But that was the most merciful thing God ever did because he knows if they eat from that tree of life, they're going to live forever. And if they live forever in this state of mortal sin, they're going to be eternally separated from God. So he gets them out of there to protect them because he's so loving and merciful because he has a plan. That's the most merciful thing God could have ever done. And people don't understand that sometimes. Oh, friends, our merciful Father is so worthy of our praise and our thanks. He had a plan since before the beginning of time for us. Since before the foundation of the world, the Father knew that He would create us, and He knew that we would need a Savior. And so He sent His only beloved Son to join in our humanity to truly become our brother. He joined our humanity so that we might one day become participants of His divinity, his divine nature. And he also taught us how to pray so that while we are on this earth, banished in this valley of tears and physically separated from him for a little while, we might still talk with him intimately and develop an open, honest, transparent friendship with him so that one day when we cross over the breach by way of Jesus who has made that way back to the Father for us by the gift of his very self, we might get to know full communion with the entire Trinity once again, the triune God, the fullest happiness that we were created to know. He wants our happiness. If we walk with him and develop a prayer life, we will increase our happiness 
forgiveness and deepen our love for Him. Try using God's Word in your prayer time this week. It is His love letter to you. He wants you to know Him better, and He's given you just the way to do that. He's given us His Word, a way to really get to know Him. He is truth. If you seek Him, you will find Him. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Until next time, keep seeking truth. You've been listening to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. To learn how you can become a participant, either online or in a classroom setting of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, go to seekingtruth.net. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. Join us next time for Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.